You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 458 and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. Listeners, I've got a trio today. Today, I am joined by Adam Cuppy, Sarah Proctor, and Chelsea Kaufman. Adam is the president of Learn Academy, software residency and co-founder of the product development agency, Zeal. He's a recent Ironman triathlon finisher, keynote speaker, and father of two. Sarah is the director of academic experience at Learn. She is passionate about creating an inclusive space for people transitioning into web development. Chelsea is the co-founder and CEO of Learn Academy. She is also board president of Ruby Central and the managing director of Girls in Tech San Diego. She is passionate about building a community of learners and helping people find their voice at the table. Welcome you all to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Hi. Hello. Hello. I am super excited about this episode. And of course, I have to make my rounds. So Adam, what is your developer origin story? I actually started as a stage actor. I went to school for theater. I have a degree in it. And I went into the profession and loved the art form, but hated the profession. In fact, I met with an actor who was about my age now, but 20 years ago. And I'd ask him, what's it like? He's like, oh, well, you know, every three months you're looking for a job. That sounded horrendous to me. So I decided to actually go into marketing. And so I did that for a while, which led to website design, which quickly evolved into web applications. And then before you know it, here we are. I had one moment in 2004 where I made a contact form appear with PHP. I can vividly recall it to this day. And ever since then, I was pretty hooked. I thought it was just amazing what you could do online with a few lines of code and for very little money, minus just the computer and internet cost. It was just incredible. What brought you to Ruby, Adam? Well, I had designed a very simplistic PHP framework without really knowing what that meant. And ironically, it was very similar to the controller action style of Ruby on Rails. I just didn't know any of that at the time. And I had been trying to make this thing work and whatnot, just explore my own creative passions around writing code. This was in probably 2007-ish, 2008, somewhere in that neighborhood. And a friend of mine said, you've got to check out this 15-minute blog post video. And as the story goes for many others, that's exactly what happened for me. I watched him like, you got to be kidding. Like, it was just magical. It was so simple to understand and elegant. It being the Rails and Ruby language, it just was really cool. And it solved a bunch of the problems I was trying to solve, which ultimately came down to a more procedural way to write code without all the configuration. I just loved, again, that elegance. It was just very easy to write, to say, to do all of that. And I just thought it was amazing. And so then I was hooked. I thought it was just great. Well, we've got another developer here. Sarah, what is your developer origin story? My origin story is the same as a lot of the students that come to Learn Academy. I come from a non-technical background and I went to boot camp at Learn. I studied psychology in college and I worked at restaurants for a long time and I just never felt like I could find my passion. And I struggled with the idea of going back to college and that just didn't feel like the right thing for me at the time. So I sat down and I made a pros and cons list of what I wanted in my day to day. not focusing on a specific job or specific industry, but focusing more on the types of things that I like doing and what I feel like I'm good at and just kind of the feeling that I wanted to have every day in my life. And that list ultimately pointed me towards coding. Attending Learn was truly a decision of convenience because at the time it was a 
in-person program and they were located about a half a mile from where I live. And I checked it out and I was just very pleased to see a great diversity in the students there. I was operating under the kind of that common assumption that people getting into development would all be younger white men. And that was not the case at Learn. And so it just it felt like the right move for me. And when I was in the boot camp, I struggled. It was really hard. And I came in very green, but I felt so well supported by the staff, by my instructors and by my cohort mates. And I realized that it was this really special thing that was happening and that this is the way that education should be. And I really wanted to be part of this magical thing that was happening. And, you know, and I felt that my list of pros and cons that this was hitting all of the pros and it really aligned with the things that I'm good at and that I really felt like I could contribute to learn. So I started volunteering at small events, which led to some contract work and then to an instructor position. And then I've just been very fortunate to continue to grow with the company. That's so great. And I know we'll talk more about Learn's tech stack, but I'm assuming that's where you got started with Ruby as well. Yep, exactly. Love that. Now, one thing that is fun on this podcast is that we do talk to developers, but we also talk to people on the business side as well, which is incredibly important as you're thinking about building Ruby on Rails applications, starting businesses. So Chelsea, I would love to know what your business origin story is. I have a similar background that Adam does in that I came from the theater. But on a different side, I'm not an actor. I do not ever claim to be one. But I started in the producing, directing side of things. And really that just filled my sense of wanting to build community. And so my business background is really in community building and education. I've worked in lots of different education organizations, just helping people create those spaces of how can we create an environment that is best for our learning and creating those habits? And the other thing that I think really drew me to the Ruby community that drew me to technology is that it is a very creative space. It is a very welcoming space. And there was a desire for more people to have a voice at the table, which is something that I am very passionate about is making sure that everyone feels like they have value and that they're bringing that with them wherever they go. And so I went to my very first Rails Bridge event. I think it was 2013, maybe 2012 is when I went to my first one and was just like, this is amazing. Everyone was learning together and like the environment was great. It was so supportive of different types of people wanting to get into this community. And I was sitting there and got to admit was a little annoyed because the two people that were running it were two male presenting folks. And so I went to them and said, how can I help you? I want to help you build this community of people and learners. And that was kind of the start of the conversations that eventually built Learn so many years ago. That is so incredibly cool. As someone who has run their own Rails Bridge, It's a lot of work, but it is so fulfilling to see people who would never have considered learning how to code, just like sitting down for a day. You bring food, you bring like a friendly environment, you have those volunteers and have them get started with Ruby on Rails and have them like render their first site is just very exciting. 
So you've hinted a little bit, Chelsea, at like the origin story, but what was the decision point of like, we need to build Learn Academy and then I'd love to cover like what everyone's roles here is in Learn Academy. So we started having conversations about what Learn would be or could be in 2014. We were in San Diego and we wanted to create more access that at that point we were watching companies that were leaving San Diego because they couldn't find the talent that they needed. My business partners were currently running a agency that was having a hard time finding the developers that they needed. And so when we started talking about it, I founded it with Matt Clark and Rob Kaufman, and they are both developers and have been in the community for a long time. I was able to kind of come in and say, okay, let's build a different type of learning environment. Let's create something that is really hands-on. We were very fortunate and were able to connect with some other boot camps that were just kind of getting started. Epicotus up in Portland was an awesome advisor and helper in those first few stages. But I really kind of went into the space and was like, how can we help people learn quickly get their hands dirty and make sure that they were leaving the boot camp ready to start being productive on day one. So we created this space that felt very familiar to what a developer's job could be like so that the day in and day out didn't feel foreign to them. So we were not just teaching the skills, these new technologies, but we're also building those habits and trying to get them to understand what it was like to communicate and to collaborate with other developers and be a part of the community that we really wanted to create a sense of, we want to help you throughout your career journey and not just this first part. So let us give you the building blocks of continuing to learn and continuing to grow in your career. So we first started working on our curriculum and getting everything set up in 2014. We went to RubyConf in San Diego in 2014 and announced Learn during that conference. And the part of our program that we'll talk about a little later, but one of the biggest parts of it is that it's a four-month boot camp. But the final month is a one-month internship with a company. Because we really believed that you needed both that foundation of skills, but also hands-on experience. And so when we went to RubyConf, we were sitting around a table and we said, all right, who wants interns? And turns out everybody raised their hand. (laughs) To us, it was like, cool. This is the right community because the same as with RailsBridge, when you walked in, It wasn't just the students that were so excited. It was the mentors that were equally excited. And so what was cool about that RubyConf experience is it kind of solidified this idea that, great, we want to help build both the new generation of mentees and mentors working together to create this community together. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Honey Badger. The number one reason startups fail is that they run out of money. There are so many different ways for startups to lose money. Downtime shouldn't be one. Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That is every single minute. A monthly subscription with Honey Badger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy-to-use platform so you can quickly understand 
what's going on and how to fix it, which helps you stay in business. Get started today in as little as five minutes at honeybadger.io with plans starting at free. Link is in the show notes. So let's dive into the curriculum. I'd love to hear from someone about why you decided on JavaScript and Ruby for the curriculum. How about you, Adam? Sure. So the reason for picking JavaScript and Ruby came down to a few fundamental pieces. The first is that there's a huge community to support it. Not only were there conferences pre-existing that you could easily get into, but of course, because they're very active open source communities, there was a lot of online resources available to somebody trying to learn. Now, a few years before that, things like Railscast were very predominant, even though it kind of came to an end in 2013. There was still a growing and budding community of early education resources. So that made it very convenient to dive in from an education standpoint. But the second part was, again, in 2014, and still even to this day, there's so many companies utilizing it that the possibility to pick up a job and find one is still very much alive and well. Even when there's all this negative sentiment around jobs are going away in tech, and especially who's writing Ruby these days, the reality is there is a lot of companies that are utilizing Ruby and even more companies that are utilizing JavaScript. So not only is there big, broad communities forum, but then there's also a lot of commercial support forum as well. And then the third layer to that is they're very good at being educational languages. So if you take JavaScript as an example, not only is it heavily used on the browser side, but now it's very heavily used on the server side as well and in other applications. Then, of course, with Ruby, it's a very predominant server-side language, very elegant, very forgiving as you're writing it. So again, it's a great language to learn object-oriented concepts on and sort of the fundamentals and prerequisites of being a web application developer. Have you ever had pressure to be full-stack JavaScript? (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's a fair argument, but I think the reason why we've chosen more often than not to stick to the Ruby language comes back to just the inherent nature of the community to support itself. It's a very strong community, you know, Miniswan-backed set of principles, and there's just a strong community around the Ruby language that students can really live into and utilize to understand. As far as JavaScript on every layer of the web app, we have focused so heavily on teaching students how to learn because there's so many changes that are inevitable in their career path as a technologist and software developer. So even though there is a fair argument for why not teach more JavaScript on the server side, if we're just teaching to the technology all the time and saying that, oh, we're going to teach you the new shiny object all the time, and yes, the industry is moving in this direction and that direction, all the time, then we may lose out on the most fundamental lesson that they need to take away, which is how do I go through the problem solving process? How do I learn new languages? How do I adopt changes in my coming years as a developer? How do I embrace that mentality? And we still believe that both JavaScript and Ruby are great for being a vehicle through which they can learn those things. That's great. So Sarah, I'm going to move to you and ask you the question, what sets Learn Academy apart from other boot camps? At Learn, our big focus is the fundamentals of programming. I tell students all the time when they ask specifically about like, why do we teach particular languages and frameworks? I say that some of you may go out and find a job with exactly the same stack that we teach at Learn. But even if you do, there's going to be more things that you're exposed to. And you're always 
going to be learning the next thing. Your job is going to be a lifelong learner and a lifelong problem solver. And so we want to teach the fundamentals and we want to teach you how to be a really good learner so that you can go be successful learning the next thing. And so I think the focus on that and not the focus on, okay, you're going to be the best JavaScript developer, you're going to be the best Ruby developer, puts our students into a category where they're not afraid to tackle new challenges. If the stack doesn't align with the things they already know, they know the process of learning a new language. And there's a lot of power in that. The other thing that sets Learn apart is that we offer an internship. A lot of boot camps present the educational aspect, which is incredibly important, but we really feel like taking that and applying it and getting experience as a student working alongside developers, seeing what the day-to-day life looks like, learning about a product is not something that we can replicate very cleanly in the classroom, but is incredibly important to that first step of making a career transition. So Chelsea, question for you, you know, as someone who's gone through RailsBridge, could you tell the listeners what Jumpstart is? We started Jumpstart really early on because students would come to us and say, is this right for me? Is this what I should do? And honestly, I can't answer that question for them, but I could give them a space where they could learn enough to make that educated decision. We know that boot camps are any boot camp is a lot of time. It is a lot of money. It is an investment. And it's a big decision in a lot of our students' lives that they're putting a lot of eggs in one basket at that time. And that can carry a lot of weight. And so we wanted to create something that introduced them to how we did things, to what the classroom experience would be like, that they could get their feet wet. They could learn a little bit of the fundamentals. And so we created Jumpstart that was a three-day program. They come in Friday evening and then they spend it all day Saturday and all day Sunday. And they learn just a little bit of the HTML, CSS, a little bit of JavaScript. But mostly it's to test out, like, is this exciting to you? Is this something that can really help you? And then along the way, the thing that we learned was that Jumpstart became a really big part of our onboarding process for our students. We now require all of our students to go through it. Some of them need to go through it as a sense of like, just making sure this is right for me. So now we use it as a tool for them to really get started and to start learning those sentimentals before they get started on the first day of a full-time boot camp. So I completely agree with you. As a former boot camp mentor myself, I have interacted with the amazing side of students where you have someone come in who just happens to find out like about a weekend like this and they just end up being a prodigy developer and they just love it and it clicks and you see that aha moment and you're just so excited. And then also I've seen the flip side where you have a student who's heard from people that they should be doing this and they come in and they do it and it's just, it's not for them. And so I think it's incredibly important that you put out there that like, Yes, writing code is great and it can be a wonderful living for someone, but it might not be for everyone. It's a real challenge. You spend a lot of time being wrong and you have to be resourceful in order to be successful in this career. So I think it's wonderful that you offer something like Jumpstart so people can really dip their toes in. This episode is also brought to you by Scout APM. Get the best of both worlds with Scout APM. Quick and effective performance monitoring designed specifically for Rails developers. It helps you fix issues fast with a developer-friendly UI and tracing logic. Resolve irregularities like N plus one queries and memory bloat in real time and prevent customer impact with real-time alerting. 
Try it now with a free 14-day trial and get started at scoutapm.com slash rubyonrails. Then take your skills to the next level at SpotCon 2023. Experience the future of performance monitoring alongside Scout APM and other industry leaders. Stay ahead of the game with innovative solutions at SpotCon 2023, a virtual event on March 2nd, 2023. Register now. Link is in the show notes. Now, I do want to talk about the hot topic that we're always talking about the podcast, and that is around hiring junior developers. And so I'm curious, how does Learn approach this because you have the successful internship program? It is challenging to be very open and honest about it. It's probably the hardest and most time-consuming and variable aspect of what we do. And for understandable reasons, there's so much talk around getting a job in tech and there's so many jobs and da-da-da-da-da. But it's still very much an interpersonal process where you're joining teams with other people and you have to go through the interview process and there's at times hoops that you have to go through that you may or may not feel prepared for or confident around. And so it's tough, but it's very doable. And so the way we approach it is one, we dedicate a lot of resources to it. In fact, our career services team, if you include me as five full-time people, ranging anywhere from sourcing partners for our internships and residency programs to actually administering the guaranteed internships with the internship partners and the students going through the cohorts to actual coursework that happens during the program dedicated to career services oriented topics such as resumes, connections on LinkedIn, how to optimize your presence, interview better, all the way through alumni success, which includes everything after the 16-week program ends. Not only through your first job, but then once you leave that first job, you might come back wanting some more support and we'll provide that to you there. So as an organization, we dedicate a lot of resources, time, money, and other to helping you succeed in the career path. But the fundamentals that we really hone on from the very beginning, literally, we just revised our career services curriculum slightly, and it's going to kick off this February with some revisions. One of those revisions is we start in week one, talking about building the habits dedicated to building your network. And specifically, we leverage LinkedIn. There's a ton of resources. You could pick your social network, but we've discovered that LinkedIn specifically is still a very good driver for job opportunities and building your public-facing career job hunt portfolio. And then every week, we build on the same set of habits so that by the time we hit week seven in the program, of which they're still learning how to code, we kind of turn the corner from building the network to utilizing your network that you've just spent the time to build. We believe very heavily that habit formation is one of the most fundamental practices that you need to build for yourself. And one of the challenges I think a lot of people have going into any job search is they forget how critical it is to build a consistent practice for themselves, whether that's filling out applications or updating your resume or getting consistent mentorship from other people who are going through a similar struggle. All of these different pieces require some sort of dedicated time and habit formation. And so adding that in as a part of the curriculum as equally weighted, not as much time, but as equally weighted as learning how to code is a big part of what we help the students go through so that they're ready for the job search when they actually enter the market. The second side of that is I talked about a couple of people who are dedicated on our team just to helping source opportunities. 
it can be tough right now because what we discovered was that a lot of companies actually don't know how to present jobs properly to those early on in the technical career path. Sadly, they'd still very heavily put reliance on time spent and they put a heavy reliance on prior experiences, which is just not as common for early career developers. And in addition to that, oftentimes the questions that we've discovered that our students are going through as they're on the job hunt are still very senior for at least they're geared towards the side of being a developer that they have yet to learn. And what we discovered when we were developing the software residency program, which is a placement program that we also administer, was that when we were asking CTOs and upper technical management define senior for me, the definitions were still pretty vague, but the consistent sentiment was that a senior developer or an experienced developer or experienced at anything for that matter is somebody who can take a big abstract problem and break it down into more concrete chunks. Whereas if you flip it and turn it to the other end, a more junior or inexperienced person in just about any career path is somebody who needs more defined pieces. Well, our interview process generally is still dedicated to that senior experience side. We're asking questions like, walk me through how to do bubble sorts and da 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 da. And it sounds on the surface like these questions are more procedural, they're more geared towards somebody that's early on in their education. But the reality is, is that what you're actually looking for, if you're going to hire a quality person early on in their career, is what's their behavioral traits? What's their attitude towards problem solving? What's their attitude towards learning? Because if they show an aptitude to learn and an excitement to learn whatever way that looks for them, then what you can do is you can train for that. It's like, okay, great. I can bolt on some internal company curriculum of sorts, air quotes there, that relates to how they do the work. But what I know for certain is that they're excited to do the work. Their mind and their habits are built around putting in the effort and they're willing to dedicate the time and they're willing to ask the questions. They're willing to stand in their discomfort. They're willing to do those things so I can fill in the gaps much easier. So I think for companies that are trying to do that is like lower that bar and be more behavioral and focus. Like look for the traits you're looking for because you can fill in the ability stuff. There's so much gold there. I completely agree with you, Adam. I think that hiring is essentially broken because our interview process does not match the actual job at hand. It's really hard to capture that behavioral aptitude during an interview if you're not asking the right questions or setting up the correct scenarios. I am curious, how does career switchers like factor into it? Do you like to see career switchers, people that have previous experience and that? Oh my gosh, yes. Oh my gosh, okay. yes. Yeah, it's one of the <laughs> coolest things about boot camps in general. If you look at the statistics across the board of boot camps and trade schools, especially technical trade schools, the average age is in the upper 20s and prior professional experience in other industries is upwards of seven years. So I'll give you a, an actual real world example of somebody I met at a conference. So I was at a conference in Denver and she was a junior developer and we were sitting around a table and I was doing the thing I do, which is I'm just trying to kind of ask people like, what brought you here and what's exciting to you about rails and all the other things. And she said, oh, you know, a little shyly, I'm a junior developer and I have a job now, but you know, and there was kind of like that quality of insecurity that was sort of coming out. 
And so we're talking a little bit. And I just asked her, I said, well, what did you do before this? And she said, oh, well, I was a lawyer. I was like, okay, you piqued my interest. So let me ask you the question, like, what about being a lawyer have you used inside of being a software developer? Like what trait crossed over? And she thinks about it for a minute. She's like, I don't know. And she goes, and she kind of put that has a smirk that goes up on her face. And she's like, I'm really good at finding a bug. I was like, really? <laughs> of course. She, so here's the deal. So as an attorney, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a fact story. <laughs> the attorney's listening. You're like, it's called it, it's called it, it's called it. But it's like a fact story or something where basically as an attorney, they learn the practice of putting all of the facts in a timeline so that you can identify where the holes and inconsistencies might exist. And that same mental model, she applied to bugs in software, something that you just don't learn in the same way, but it's totally ingrained in the practice of being a lawyer. And there's things like that everywhere. Almost every single profession you find has a transferable skill that 100% serves them into their new career path, even if it isn't software development. I mean, I'm an actor and I get complimented all the time for being so willing, big personality, extrovert, all these things. You can probably hear it now. But there's a reality, which is I have been in front of strangers consistently since I was 14 years old. So I've put in so many reps being uncomfortable in front of totally unknown people that at this point, it's actually comfortable. It's more comfortable for me to be in front of a group of unknown folks than it is to not be. But that just has to do with having put in the reps. And so that's the thing to remember when you're hiring somebody that might be new to software development, but has a resume that might be a year or two or three. And a totally seemingly unrelated thing is those things will funnel their way into their job. And in fact, I would highly encourage anyone who's actually doing the interviewing, focus almost all of your questions on the things they did before they started going down the path of being a software developer. Here, I'm going to make an even more audacious statement. You are wasting your time if you're spending most of your time during the interview on the boot camp they just went to or the program they just went to. You're wasting your time because for the most part, they're generally going to teach relatively the same stuff. But if you understand what they did before, what drew them into geology or drew them into spending five years in management at a supermarket. Like you're going to discover all of these hidden gems, areas, behavioral traits, these things that are going to make them a great member of the team, because then I can spend time to unlock that stuff. And that's where things start to get really exciting. But again, if you're just focusing on like, well, can you, you know, tell me how a bubble sort algorithm works. Okay. Just wasting your time. You're not going to find the interesting stuff. You're not going to find the things that add to the culture of your company. You're just going to find the conformist things. What's the things that everyone else does? How are you going to do the work I'm asking you to do the way I want you to do it versus how are you going to find a solution to the problem I never even thought of thinking up? I'll give you another one more example because now I'm very excited. Let's do it. So in my former company, Zeal, we were an agency. We had an intern who came through Learn. I don't know his exact age, but I know that he was probably upwards of 50 or older, somewhere in that neighborhood. And he had gone through the boot camp himself and went through the internship where Zeal was taking on interns. So we brought him on as an intern. Now, I did his interview and English was his second language. And his English was a little broken and kind of hard to fully understand. And I remember being told that this might be the hurdle 
is just the communication might be tough. I was very sympathetic to that. I'm like, listen, we can manage that. Like, we can get through that. So we brought him on as an intern and he totally shined. He shined in all the right ways. He was very dedicated to the problem he was solving. He asked really good questions. He took really good notes. Behaviorally and even technically, he did phenomenal. Now, the thing that was amazing was, again, as an agency, we had a client And to be frank, the company had spent many hours, so a whole lot of clients' money building a solution to this problem that needed to make its way into an Excel spreadsheet. Well, he had spent 20 years on the project management side for a large procurement company. And so he comes in and we had been spending, it was like two weeks on this problem. In five minutes, he's like, well, there's a Google Sheet formula we can use. (laughs) You're like, wait, what? (laughs) And so he solved the problem with a Google Sheet format. He found a new solution to a problem because his perspective was different. He didn't solve it with software. He solved it with his past, with his experiences in other areas. And that saved the client, I don't even know how much money, just in computation time alone, because there was a solution we didn't even think to think of. And he was very junior by that definition, by a software developer definition, but extremely experienced in other ways. So those are the gems you can so quickly miss out on. If you just focus so heavily on, what did you just learn? Walk me through how you write JavaScript. Like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Sure. I agree with you, Adam. Like during my interviews, I like to focus heavily on the past. And then the other two things that I focus on is why did you want to learn how to code? Because the motivation has to make sense to me. And then for me, if they've graduated a boot camp, and let's say it's been a couple of months since they've graduated the boot camp, It's important to me that they're still learning because they find some joy or interest in it. If they've gone completely cold after the boot camp, I don't take it normally as a good sign. I will, of course, accommodate whether or not their life is busy, which it's a full-time job to apply for jobs. So I totally get that. But I love it when someone can tell me like how they're continuously learning after the boot camp as well. And those are the really the three areas that I focus on. Couldn't agree more. Anything else that we want to cover before we wrap up today? There is one big one for us, and it comes back to hiring juniors. Of all the conferences I've been to and all the events I've been to, whenever the question comes up, who would love to hire juniors into their team? Who's sympathetic to that cause? A vast majority of hands go up. Sure, there's a handful of folks are like, that's just not on the docket right now. We have over 200 students that are going to go through the program. Learn has had well over 500 in its history. We've established over 100 different internship programs at various companies at various times. And it continues to be really challenging to effectively convince organizations that internships and early career entry programs for their organizations are a viable solution to their company as a whole. And I totally understand why and where the criticism comes from. And that is that generally speaking, Junior or inexperienced tends to be listed synonymously with the concept of risk. And I don't want to risk the fate of our company, or this is the feeling, I don't want to risk the fate of our company on early career folks when we have the money. And so what I witnessed over the last couple of years, which is why I joined Learn myself, was that over the last couple of years in the height of the tech boom, which has now had a pretty steep decline, but at the height of the tech boom, the rate of compensation for senior folks was just skyrocketing. And that's great. I think it's wonderful that people can make a phenomenal living in this industry. Yet there was still continual stagnation around the junior and mid-level positions. So it created 
two improperly placed incentives. One was it was incentivizing folks to effectively job hop until they could get the title. And it was a very real world thing because there was not a clear career path for them. There weren't enough companies that were hiring folks with that junior label or even mid-level label. And so they were finding creative ways simply to get to the point where they could hold the senior label even before they were senior. And I think that's not great for just the ecosystem as a whole because it's not incentivizing and valuing those that are continually going through the learning process. But the second thing that was happening that was really sad to me was that when revenues were declining and they were continuing to struggle to hire senior positions at these more inflated compensation rates, that instead of lowering the barrier of entry for their companies and hiring folks that were even one step lower than senior or two steps lower than senior, they just weren't hiring at all. And they were sacrificing their kind of product progress and their team development progress in favor of not hiring at a lower bar. Now, you can make a strong argument for why a company might do that. But if we don't ever lower that bar, if our companies never do it, then there will be a date in which the demand and the supply are way out of sync, where the supply is so small and the demand is so high that now we're losing out on new innovative technologies that are coming from new people. There's no new seniors coming into the market. There's no new mid-level people coming into the market. And our community, the Ruby community, will start to stagnate and shrink because there just won't be new people coming into it. So I believe, and the reason why I jumped over to learn so excitedly was that we have to lower the bar and make it more accessible for companies to bring on junior people. And I totally understand the concern and challenge. So my charge to everyone listening is this. The first thing is, let us help you. We don't charge for the internship. It literally costs you nothing more than time and your growth. That's it. And what I mean by that is like the internship is free to companies. Now, we encourage them at some point in time to maybe do a paid internship, but you're not paying us. You're paying the students themselves and the interns. It's free to you. But if you just simply introduce an internship, make it accessible for your team to mentor, learn mentorship by mentoring two, three, four interns over the course of a year then I guarantee you, you're going to better the ecosystem as a whole and also better your teammates as being able to help them understand how to bring junior folk into the fold. But if we never do that part, then the ecosystem is going to shrink and the Ruby community is going to shrink. And I don't think any of us want that. Yeah. And so Learn is actively trying to help. I'll say it again. It doesn't cost anything. And we have five people, if you include me, that are dedicated to things that happen after the curriculum and career services related things. And we have two people full-time who are dedicated to just internship related topics. So we will give you all the resources. We will help you as much as possible, but start with two interns. We will make it as easy as we can make it so that you can start some interns and bring some junior people into the fold. And if we can do that, I think we're going to do something good for all of us. This is so inspiring. So of course, I'm sure listeners are very interested in following you all and figuring out like how they can get involved with Learn Academy. So Adam, I'll start with you, then Sarah, and then Chelsea, if you can let us know how we can follow you and how to get involved in Learn, that would be great. So you can find me on Twitter at Adam Cuppy. I'm the only Adam Cuppy I know of. So if you do a search on most of the things, you're going to find me there. 
You can, of course, email me at adam at learnacademy.org, but better yet would be to just go to learnacademy.org. There's two different directions you can go. If you're listening and want to be a student, go be a student. We'd love to have you. If you're considering being an internship partner or a mentor, we would love to hear from you as well. Go there. You can reach out to me and I'm happy to help, but go there first. That would be awesome. You can find me on LinkedIn. And then for Learn, we're SD Learn on all the socials. Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn as well or Twitter at Charles Kaufman. But yeah, I echo what Adam said, learnacademy.org or really any of us, Chelsea at learnacademy.org. Wonderful. It has been so wonderful having you all on today. It's incredibly insightful. And I love that you just shared all your wisdom around creating an internship program. And you're right, Adam, you're right, Chelsea and Sarah. In order to keep this community alive, we have to do things like this. So I think the listeners are going to be very inspired with this episode. Thank you all. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.